to Nehemiah chapter 3. We're continuing our series. Nehemiah chapter 3 and verse 38. Nehemiah 3 and 38. And the Bible says, from above the horse gate repaired the priest, everyone over against his house. I'll read it again. From above the horse gate repaired the priests, everyone over against his house. I want to preach, Lord, helping us this morning on the horse gate, the horse gate. Let's pray. Father, we... Thank you once again for the privilege of being in your house. And Lord, as it's already been stated, we so appreciate your presence here. Uh, we, we do. Lord, we know you're here in every service, but Lord, it's always good to acknowledge your presence here. Lord, I, I, I just don't want to move into a service, Lord, where, where you're not there. I just thank you, Lord, that you give us that presence, that witness of the Holy Spirit, Lord, in our services. I pray that, Father, as we enter into your word this morning, that, God, you would give me the liberty, the anointing that I need, Father, to convey the truths, the principles, Lord, that are in your word, that are so applicable for each of our lives. And, Father, like always, God, everything that's accomplished, Lord, will give you the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Amen. The horse gate. It is intriguing to me to see a pattern develop from each of these gates in the book of Nehemiah that relates seemingly prophetically to our life in, or as Christians. Actually, the order in which Nehemiah reveals each gate shows our spiritual progression as Christians, uh, how you and I are supposed to be developing. Last week, um, or for the past several weeks, we've talked about the sheep gate, which uh, the symbolism in the sheep gate is our salvation through Jesus Christ. The second gate that we talked about was the fish gate, which is after salvation, we become witnesses, telling people about what Christ has done in our lives. The third gate, the old gate, speaks of that which is past, yet solid and foundational. And then fourthly, the valley gate, which emptied into the valley of Hinnom. Uh, this is where, or symbolic of the horrible experiences that we can have in life. And, you know, maybe you're here this morning and you haven't had any bad experiences in life, but you can sure uh, say to the fact that you've seen them and heard about them. It's all around us. But that's life in the valley. And then fifthly, we talked about the, the dung gate, which is a type of sin that clings to our lives. And we need to uh, get rid of these things that, that linger in our lives. We need to see our need for constant cleansing and sanctification. All these gates represent experiences that we have to deal with in life to protect that sacred place within us where God resides. 
Last Sunday, we talked about the fountain gate. And as we, we talked about the fountain gate, we learned that it's all about the Spirit of God moving in our lives. And more so, the fountain gate represents the baptism of the Holy Spirit and uh, how that is something that is needed in, in the lives of a believer. And then after the fountain gate, we talked about the, the uh, water gate, which speaks of the, the Word of God, our continued cleansing through the Word of God. As God's Word is preached, it helps sharpen us, sharpen us, quicken us, amen, to the, to the way that we should be living our lives in the sight of God. Allow me to insert uh, this golden nugget. And, and it's just one of those things that popped out to me. The word next, N-E-X-T, is used 15 times in Nehemiah chapter 3. 15 times. Next they did this. Next they did that. Next they built this. Next they repaired that. Uh, it, it's estimated that there were some 42 different groups of people that aided in the construction of these walls and gates. What made them success, successful in accomplishing their task, remember it was in 52 days, they had a, a man that had, number one, a vision. Number two, he had leadership skills. And number three, he had co cooperation from everyone else. And so they were able to get the job done. The, the thing that we, the topic that we're going to discuss this morning is the horse gate. And once again, the horse gate is an experience that you and I should have in our lives. Uh, and once again, there's a sequential order of each of these gates that shows the, prog the progression of our spiritual life in Christ. So without any further ado, we'll jump right into the horse gate. You know, uh, number one, you know, I am a lover of horses. Uh, I, I can remember when I was a young teenager when, when you know, we had animals as, as I was growing up in northern Indiana. And that is where I got my horse experiences. And it, it was rather interesting. We, had, we didn't have big horses, but we had a neighbor that did, and I had the liberty to go and ride his horse. I, I remember we had a, he had a quarter horse. His name was Big Red and he was a big horse. And I was just a young teenager, but I could go over there at any time I wanted and, and I could get on that horse and I would take him and ride him. And so basically the, the horsemanship skills that, that, that I developed were on my own. And uh, I, I, I so in, enjoyed it. After my teenage years, I never sat in a saddle until we moved to Montana. So that was probably 20 to 25 years uh, that I'd sat back on a horse. But it's kind of interesting. It's, it's a little like riding a bicycle. You can learn to ride a bicycle when you're a little kid. And, yeah, and when you, you can forget, you know, not ride one until for 30, 40 years, but you can get right back on and start pedaling. It's just kind of that way with a horse. You get right back in the saddle, and it all just comes right back to you. And uh, and so I, I've I've always enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I, I remember at one time uh, we had eight horses uh, at our place, and 
and uh, all of our children, even my wife, um, have have been uh, uh, schooled on on riding horses and camping and things like that. Uh, it's 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 been good. It, it has. Uh, the horse in the scripture always speaks of discipline, strength, endurance, and speed. The horse that is not broken, I don't believe, has much good. You know, some use uh, horses that are not broken for brood mares and studs and things like that, but, and, and that's all well and good, but I like a horse that can be ridden. Uh, when a when discipline has been worked into its life, a man can ride him. He can pull a cart or a chariot with that horse. Uh, he can be an asset to any group. Here not too long ago, I, I, I seen a man with a team of Clydesdales uh, or draft horses. They weren't Clydesdales uh, on a, by a job that we were doing, and they were out there on a buckboard working those horses, and I, that just really... Uh, uh, intrigued me. Um, I, I remember when I was, I think I was 17 years old, and some of you may not understand this, but when I was 17 years old, I, I bought me a Lincoln Continental Mark IV. We're talking a Sherman tank. I mean, that was the Cadillac, one of the Cadillac of cars back then. That thing was fully loaded. I mean, when I, when I was farming as a teenager, I mean, I, you know, I had a Corvette at 17 years old. I had a Harley, you know, and, uh, but I had this Lincoln Continental Mark IV, and they, they were known for the huge hood that they had and that, that horsepower, and, and I had the buckskin interior and all the, the bells and whistles. But what one winter, uh, I, I was driving out, and we had some terrible winters in northern Indiana. And the roads were really drifted over bad. And uh, with that big old float boat, I thought I could just about go through any drift. And so I seen one big drift that was crossing this county road. And I got some speed up and I flew into that drift and I got up on top of it, but I didn't get through it. And so there I was suspended and stuck to say the least. I mean, that car didn't go an eighth of an inch forward or reverse. And so I got out in the cold and I walk up to an Amishman, up to his house. And I said, my car's stuck. Do you have anything that can help me? And he went out into the barn and he got a team of draft horses. And he came out, he brought them out there and it was cold and everything. And he hooked them draft horses up to that, that uh, Lincoln Continental. I'll never forget it. And he set them horses. I don't know if you know, understand what setting is, but... Uh, uh, he, he got the ropes on and, and harnessed and everything and, and uh, hooked up to the back of that car. And, uh, and he took those horses and he tightened up the, the, the ropes and everything. And then he set them. In other words, they were anchored. And, and then he started to talk to them and them horses started to lean, just lean. And as they leaned, the wheel wells uh, above my rear tires, you could literally watch the panels go in from the pull. They were pulling that hard. They would go in and out, in and out. Oh yeah, it was, horses are, are, are fascinating, especially when they're, they're draft horses. But, uh, you know, 
and you know, and it just goes on and on. You know, the growing up in an Amish community, you know, we've seen them out there plowing and 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 so on with the with their horses, and so they're 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 beautiful animals. The one who breaks the horse develops a special relationship with that horse. The horse will know the owner's voice or the trainer's voice. Uh, he's the one that um, cares and feeds the horse, and uh, you know, of course. You know, some of our horses, their God is their belly. And so I don't care what voice you have. If you just go out there with a, a little bucket and let them hear that there's something in it, they'll come running. And, uh, you know, but they're, they're, they're just very beautiful animals. But the, the point is this, God will develop each one of us to be strong as we see in the progression of these, these gates in, in the walls of, of Jerusalem. Uh, it will develop us to be strong will be quick to obey and go wherever God sends us so that we can be an asset and be strength for those around us that need our help. When you look at the historical books of the Bible, it reveals the, the horse as an animal of the kings of Israel and their allies and even their enemies. It was through the horse gate you would see a royal procession of merchants with goods for trading, uh, horses, chariots, silver spices, cedar wood from Lebanon are all listed under Solomon's uh, trade transactions. Uh, you can see that in Second Kings, I believe it is, where the Queen of Sheba came and through the horse gate, they brought all their merchandise and so on. It was quite fascinating. In the book of Job, chapter 39 and, and verse 19, Job says, or God says, has, hast thou given the horse strength? Hast thou clothed his neck with thunder? Canst thou make him afraid as a grasshopper? The glory of his nostrils is terrible. He paweth in the valley and rejoiceth in his strength. He goeth on to meet the armed men. He mocketh at fear and is not affrighted. Neither turneth he his back from the sword. The quiver rattleth against him. The glittering spear and the shield, he swalloweth the ground with the fierceness and rage. Neither believeth he that it is the sound of the trumpet. He saith among the trumpets, ha ha, and he smelleth the battle afar off and the thunder of captains and the shouting. A horse is just a, a, a wonderful animal. I, I, they're, they're so intelligent. I remember years ago, I did a job for a, a, a young lady down in the Bitterroot, and, and she had won the National Rodeo Championship. And, and when I was doing some uh, rock work in her, in her house, uh, she had this saddle that came with that uh, being a rodeo champion. She, uh, it was a very handcrafted saddle with with all kinds of writings in it and everything and gold plating and etc and uh, she told me the the events that she won uh, at the national rodeo uh, competition and she told me that it takes five years to train a horse to win that particular competition that she was in in the national rodeo circuit but she said it takes a person seven years to know how to train that horse five years. And so she just kind of looked at me and said, who's the one that has all the sense? And uh, so they're, they're, they're very interesting, very interesting animals. I, I love it when, 
when, when you get on a horse, and we've had some very high-spirited horses. Uh, we've, we had one, uh, 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 a pinto horse. Uh, his, his, his name was Stonewall Jackson. And uh, he was always full of energy. When you put your seat in the saddle on him, if you wanted to go to the moon, he would take you. And you better hang on. I mean, that's just the way he was. Uh, I, I, I love it when, when you're on a horse and they start getting antsy and start prancing and you can feel that power in their legs. And uh, they're just chomping at the bit, you know. And, and if you're not a, an experienced rider, it would be very intimidating and you'd one off because they, they do have an air about them, you know, that, hey, let me, just give me some reins so we can get on with the program. I remember one year, Peter and I, we went, uh, and I'm just really having fun here. I, re I remember one year, Peter and I, we went up eight mile uh, bow hunting. And uh, we went back up in there and where we was riding, it was, it was interesting. But we were on a, a, a trail that was probably about this wide. And right here, you had the mountainside. And over here, it was straight down. I don't know how far. And we go riding in there, you know, and, and we, we do some bow hunting, and, but we stay in there till after dark. And, uh, and, and it was so dark, the moon wasn't shining or anything like that. And I, I kid you not, it was so dark, I could not see the back of the horse's head. It was that jet dark. And we had to come out on that same trail that we went in on. But this is all you could do is you just give them the reins and they take you straight to the truck. I mean, you just, they, they have this inner sense of, of where they've been, where they need to go. I know a man one time that got in a situation like that. He was outfitting uh, or, or with a group uh, and, uh, and he got off his horse and he said, I'm not riding the horse uh, across that. And the outfitter said, if you don't ride the horse across there, the chances are you're going to fall off yourself by walking. And so he jumped back on the horse and let the horse. I mean, we've been in places where if, if you fell, I mean, it would be 700, 800,000 feet to where you'd just keep falling. I mean, it's, but the horses, they're so sure-footed and they know exactly where they're going and what they're doing. And it takes a little time, it really does, to learn your horse and learn what he's capable of doing and that horse trusting you that you know what you're doing and leading and guiding him and so on. I remember we were up on top, uh, we were in the bob and, and uh, uh, I was on Bandit and, uh, and he's a tall horse, he's 16'2" and uh, hands high. And there was a little pond there on top of this mountain and he just loves water. And uh, he wanted to go into that water. And, uh, and I thought, all right, I'll let you go. Because from what I could see, it wasn't very deep. But when he jumped in that water, I mean, it came up. I was on that saddle and it came up to my, you know, to my thighs, my gun, my everything. My, my scabbard was underwater. I mean, it was deep and it was muddy. And, you know, but man, he come out of it just as hard as he went into it. And, uh, but you know, they're, they're, they're a lot of fun. We've, we've hobbled our horses and, uh, you know, as we've been camping and fishing and what, what hobbling is, is when you tie their front legs together, you kind of like handcuff them 
so that they just can't run off. You don't have to put them on a lead rope, but you hobble them so that they just kind of hop around and get the grass they want. We're sitting there and all at once we hear this big splash and the, the, the horse jumped in the lake, hobbled. And I thought, man, he's going to drown, but he came right back out, you know. And, uh, but anyway, horses are a lot of fun. Uh, the horse gate was by the king's house within the walls. It has been said that under the temple mount where Solomon uh, kept some of his 4,000 horse stalls that he had. You can read that in 2 Chronicles 9.25. Matter of fact, I have it written here. And Solomon had 4,000 stalls for horses and chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he bestowed in their chariot cities and with the king at Jerusalem. So he had them kind of scattered about, but they said underneath the Temple Mount was a, where he kept a lot of his, his horses as well. The donkey is used extensively in the Bible as a symbolic emblem of peace. And many kings would ride the donkey, such as our Lord did when he rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And so you can see that, you know, Scripture is full of, of, of things about the horse. And, but here's the spiritual application that I want us to get. This is what I want to focus on this morning here. Um, it's, it's all about spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. The spiritual meaning of the horse gate is battle, war. It's also interesting that the horse gate follows the water, you know, which was symbolic, the water gate, which was symbolic of the word of God. And, you know, the, the word is something that we use as we go forth into spiritual warfare. And whenever you start using the word of God, you can always be assured that there's going to be something negative or a battle happening in, in connection with it. It's just the way that it is. Proverbs 21, 31 says, the horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. The, this, this gate, uh, horse gate where horses would come in and go out because of warfare, the armies of the people of Israel would come in and go out through this gate and ride against the, the enemies when they went to battle. And this is a picture, once again, of the spiritual warfare that comes into a believer's life. If you're living for God, you're going to have struggles. Amen. I, one thing that really aggravates me is when people try to encourage others to come to the altar and get saved and your life will never be the same. Everything will be nice. That's, that's not true. When you give your life to Christ, you, you realize that there is a contrast now between evil and good. And good is, you know, everything about good is now residing in you. And, and the devil is constantly fighting against everything that is within you. So, so life is a battle as a Christian. It just simply is. I remember hearing where Nicky Cruz, uh, when he was on the streets of New York City, one of the most notorious gangsters in New York City. And David Wilkerson was preaching on the street corner. And, and David Wilkerson, as he was preaching, Nicky Cruz and his gang of thugs come walking by. And, and David Wilkerson stuck out his hand and said, take my hand and let's see how much of a man you really are. Because it takes guts. It takes intestinal fortitude to be a Christian. 
And of course, the rest is history. Nicky Cruz gave his life to the Lord and became one of the great evangelists of our time. I encourage you to read his book if you can. In 2 Timothy 2, 3, and 4, the Bible says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. When you give your life to Christ, the battle is on. You become enlisted in his army. You become a soldier. So you can see that the horse speaks of strength and power. When we come to the horse gate, we are taught that when we have successfully advanced through each of the other gates, only then will we have strength for spiritual warfare. If you don't put a lot into your Christianity, you're not going to experience any warfare. It's just not going to happen. Because, and, and forgive me if I'm really blunt here this morning, but you know, I, I've often put it this way. If you're not having any struggles and battles in your Christian uh, uh, walk, uh, in your Christianity, it's probably because the devil doesn't see you as a threat and is just leaving you alone. Amen. <laughs> Amen. The point is this, you cannot escape spiritual warfare. It is just as much a part of our Christian life as the other gates that are represented. We will have warrior strength. When we meet the horse gate, we will put on the whole armor of God and we'll do battle against the demonic powers at work in the world. In Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, the Apostle Paul told the church at Ephesus, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not duking it out, folks, or shooting one another. That's not where it's at as much as you'd like to in some instances. But that's not where it's at. He said it's not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities. It's, it, it's against powers. It, it's against the rulers of darkness of this world. It's, it's against spiritual wickedness in high places. If our eyes could be open to the, to the spirit realm, folks, we would probably, every one of us, be at this altar and we'd be white knuckles gripping a hold of it. If we seen the spiritual wickedness in high places, it's, it, it, it's horrible. It's, it, it, it's horrible. Uh, it, it, it is, but God wants us to know that we are in a battle and it's not with our words and things like that, that we battles are won, but it's on our knees. Amen. It's, it's intercession. It's praying and asking God and binding spirits and things like that. Amen. That make you and I victorious. And you see that only comes uh, uh, from, from walking, going through this host, uh, horse gate but understanding where you've come from. Amen. The Lord entered Jerusalem on what is now called Palm Sunday, not on a decorated horse of triumph, but on the lowliest member of the horse's family. He was covered with cloaks from his disciples. He was riding a donkey, a donkey. This gate was the entrance of the king of kings, as prophesied in Zechariah 9.1. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, Jerusalem. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, the king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, upon the colt of the foal of an ass. That's how Jesus came in. 
But the next time that we see him, it's not going to be on a donkey. And we're getting ready for this in the book of Revelation, chapter 19. But he's going to be on a white horse. The Prince of Peace entered Jerusalem as a king on a little donkey. But that same king, Jesus Christ, the one that we serve here right now, Amen. He's coming again in warfare. He's coming in victory. He's coming for the judgment of mankind, and he will be on a white horse. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through 16. This is one of the, the, my favorite scriptures, passages in the Bible. Amen. And John puts it this way, and I, and I, I just love it. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies, that's you and me. Believe it or not, you and me have a place in this. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses. You say you've never ridden a horse? Get ready because you're fixing to. Amen. Uh, and the armies uh, in heaven followed him on white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. You talk about a real hoot and a holler. Amen. I've told people I want to be riding so close to Jesus that he turns around and he looks at me and says, Mike, get on your own horse. Amen. I want to be right up front, folks. I mean, if there's ever going to be a, uh, uh, some uh, incentive or uh, desire to be right up front, man, that's, that's going to be the time for me because I want to come down out of heaven with him and I want to see how this battle is fought, the battle of Armageddon. I want to be there. I want to see it go down. I want to see the beast and the false prophet put out and cast into hell. I want to see Satan. I want to see all this. Amen. I want to see it with my eyes. Amen. As, as I'm sure everyone wants to. The horse gate not only reminds us that we are engaged in, in spiritual warfare daily, but it also reminds us of the soon coming of Christ. And folks, he is coming and we need to be prepared for that also. So that's, that's what I see in the horse gate. But there's just one other element here that that got my attention. And I want to read it again in Nehemiah 3 and verse 28. From above the horse gate repaired the priest. Now this is the part I want you to get. Every one over against his house. Every one over against his house. I mean, I am so compelled to bring this, what I call a critical observation to your attention. Scripture is clear that the location of the horse gate was in close proximity of the temple where the housing for the priests was located. The Bible says they built it over against their house. 
In this chapter alone, the phrase against their house is mentioned six times. Now, without expounding on this too far, you men in here, uh, husbands, fathers, uh, we are called the priests of our home. And that is a beautiful study within itself. Uh, I've always put it this way, the, the Catholics have the right concept, but they have the application totally wrong. You know, the concept of the priesthood is real. Amen. I'm the priest of my household, just like you men are here. And there's a lot of responsibility that goes with that. When I was growing up, I grew up in an unsaved family. And I can remember going to an event. I, I want to say every year, but maybe I, I don't remember if it was every year. But we had what they called family reunions. The old family reunions. And it would be jotted down on the calendar. And, and uh, I mean, it was a special event. The, I would venture to say I was between five and seven years old when, when these reunions were taking place. I mean, relatives would come from all over the United States. They'd pull their campers. They would have their pup tents. Man, we would have barbecues. There was games for the kids. The older gentlemen would pitch horseshoes and things like that, play croquet. I mean, everybody, it was just nothing but family. You had nothing but fun and getting to know each other and what, you know, just the fellowship and so on. And now keep in mind, I wasn't saved. And this, this is what I remember. It was something that as a little boy I always looked forward to and so on. But for the past 57 to 59 years, now I'm 64, so I'm going to say that, you know, from five to seven, we had these family reunions. And at 64 years old, I can say for the past 57 to 59 years of my life, this is what I've discovered or experienced in these past 57 to, uh, uh, or to 59 years. Now, keep in mind that 40 years of that, I've been saved. Keep that in mind. Now, I love the United States. I do. I think it's one of the, if not the best place on the planet that we can still live. But over the many years of my life, I have seen a concerted effort by our politicians to promote division amongst families and friends. It's a concerted effort. There is a motto that has been used by kingdoms down through the pages of time. Divide and conquer, or divide and rule. This is one of Satan's greatest strategies for mankind against God. When you take this ideology and, and, and insert it into a society over the course of 40 years, we see the results lived out in our current lifetime. Homes, families have turned dysfunctional. Hundreds of, uh, if, if, if not the, the vast majority 
of husbands and wives look at children as a mistake today rather than a blessing from the Lord. And here's the sad thing about it. Those children grow up with that understanding, with that attitude from their parents. Satan has declared war against the family. And unfortunately, that is a war that he is winning. He just simply is. Corrupt churches today are the fruit of these dysfunctional societies. Listen to me. The church is never any greater than the families that make it up. If you have dysfunctional families, corrupt families, you're going to have a dysfunctional, corrupt church. Remember that. You may not like to hear it, but it's a fact. Now we're talking about the horse gate, spiritual warfare against your home. I built my house 25 years ago, and I've been in the process for the past several years of remodeling. Man, what a chore. I'm, I'm replacing windows, and I told Peter this morning, I said, man, what a chore. You know, yeah, it, it's just not all that easy. You know, you got to try to figure out how to trim and, you know, because it's my windows are different than the windows that I had installed when I framed up my house and built it and I mean, there's just a lot to it. I mean, it is what it is, you know, and I'm, I'm just thankful that the Lord gives me the ability to, to do those things. But my home, after 25 years, it needs attention, not from our personal abuse, no, but it needs attention because it's 25 years old. It needs attention because it's weathered many, many winters and many, many hot summers. The, the devastation on my exterior of my house is, is probably greater from the sun than the cold in the winter times. The, the dryness of the wood and the separation and things like that. You know, and just simply using the home, we built our home with, with uh, a big family in mind that our kids can just be kids in our home. Mom and I have raised seven children only to see our family get bigger and bigger and bigger. I'm talking about, no, I'm not. <laughs> it has not been easy to instill family values and get them to stick when you live in a dysfunctional society. Being a pastor and really trying hard as a father to instill values into my children when you have this crazy world in which we live in, giving them all the appetites and all the entitlements. And I mean, I could go down the road pulling at them, and I'm trying to instill values into them. But glory be to God, giving him all the praise, all our family is here this morning. Men built their gates by their house. And this is what I want to conclude with as Hannah comes to the piano this morning. You listen to me.
when society says that families are, are no longer important, the Bible says they are. The Bible says they are. And, you know, I don't want to speak in Kevin's place or Angel's place, and, and I'm, I'm surely not up here to intentionally put something on them, but either one of them was raised in a functional home. Can I say that? A dysfunction? No, you, you were both raised in a dysfunctional home. And so them coming into our family has been a real challenge for them. And because they've never, I mean, they're, they're adapting really well. But it's something that they're, they've been oblivious to. Wow, look at, they all love one another. <laughs> and they care for one another and they share and things like that. You know. Anybody that my, my, Children bring in, be it Hannah, uh, George, uh, Angel, Nathan. Nathan's back there waving his hand. Don't forget me, Dad. Kevin. Become my family. They become my, my family. And, it, and it's, always, it's always been my, my desire. And, it, and I want to say my desire is scriptural to allow these people to see that a family is important. It's so important that we have each other's back and that we, you know, when one, when one person suffers, they all suffer. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. The fight for your home never, ever uh, ceases. It, it simply doesn't. I don't want my, my family to dissolve like I've seen other families down through the years. You know, I, I look at Eugene and, uh, you know, I see his family. He's got a beautiful family and I see the things that, that he does with his family and uh, the love and the care and the concern that he has for his family. Man, don't ever stop that. Don't ever stop that. And I see Kevin developing it and I see Peter and trying to develop that. And, and George, don't ever stop caring for your family. Even when they run off to college, as I said last Sunday, don't cut the apron strings. You just keep a close tight on and maybe weave them a little harder so that you can pull her back. But never, never, never allow your kids to to, to get out of the scope of your love and care for them. I don't care how old they are. I don't care how long they've been married. I don't care how many grandchildren they, 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 that have come into your, your family. You're the one that's responsible. There's spiritual warfare that goes on, not only for my kids, but for their spouses and now for my grandkids. It's something that I want to hang on to regardless of what society dictates. I want to build beside my house. I want to repair beside my house. Amen. Because my family is everything to me. It is. I will never, ever cease being a parent. And you kids in here, and some of you are, 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 are in your 30s and so on, 40s, 
but you're still kids. I'm still a kid, but my parents are gone. And I, and, and, but, but never lose sight of your parents. Uh, Allison, Avis, Matthew, don't ever lose sight of your mom and dad. Amen. Always go for them. Always confide in them. Don't, don't just think, well, we've raised them and they're out of here. Now it's their own life. No, you have an integral part in their life until you're gone. Until you're gone or the rapture of the church takes place, whichever comes first. You see, that's Bible. That's Bible. We're to be a close-knit unit. And as our families that are represented here this morning in this church, as they stay strong and have that unity, when, the, when society promotes disunity, we're going to be strong. We're going to keep moving forward like a war horse. We may not be many, but we are strong. We are strong. I told somebody here of late, if I got in a corner, and I've got some powerful good friends, Philip Sanders, Mike Johnson, Mike Blue, Davey Boggs, and I've got some powerful preacher friends. But if I got backed up in a corner where I needed some help, all I need is my family. That's all I need. It's just my family my family, knowing that I have them in my corner, knowing that I, they have my back. That's all I need. That's all I need. So you men in here that have families and that are growing families, strive, strive with everything that is in you. Amen. To keep your family close. Walk with them through their trials and their tribulations. Keep them. Keep them. Amen and amen. Father, we thank you once again for your word here this morning. Thank you for the horse gate. Thank you, Father, for the typology, the symbolism, Lord. It's powerful, Lord. It, it is. It's something that we don't hear of today anymore because of our society, which has grown so dysfunctional. It's in our education now. It's... We are the rare exception to the rule here this morning. But Lord, I thank you that we can have the, the characteristics of a war horse. We can have the characteristics that we're going to stand tall. We're going to go forward. We're not afraid to fight. I am not afraid to fight. I'll fight for my family. I will, I'll fight for my church. I'm not afraid of it. Not in any way, shape, or form. I'm simply not. And I want my family and I want my church to know that, Lord, that I'll do whatever I can to fight for them and be the best that I can be, that I can use, Lord, uh, my abilities that you've given me to help them, Lord, in whatever circumstances they might find themselves in. And Lord, I know that the door swings both ways. The gate swings both ways. Help us, Lord, to be cognizant of that fact that we're here. We're to be strong for each other, not for our own independence, but for each other. Solomon said with all of his wisdom in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, that how can one be warm when he's alone, but two have heat? How can you withstand somebody that, 
that is coming against you when you're alone, but two people or three people can, can withstand anybody. Oh, a, a single cord is, is easily broken, but a cord that has been woven into threes is hard to break. There's power in numbers. There's power in this, Father. There's power in a strong home. Father, for everything that you do, Lord, help us men in here to accept the challenge and run with it, to protect our families at whatever cost, whatever the cost is. In your precious holy name we pray. Amen. Let's stand this morning.